This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. On September 26th of 1937, the Shadow Radio Show began. It was created by Walter B. Gibson for the Pulp magazine and premiered with the story The Death House Rescue. With all the special effects supported by computers to create scary scenes and characters today, to think that people would be frightened by this unseen voice sounds a little out there, but scared they were. The Shadow was an invisible avenger who had learned while traveling through the Orient the mysterious power to cloud men's minds so they couldn't see them. This feature of the character was born out of necessity, really. Time constraints of 1930s radio made it difficult to explain to listeners where the shadow was hiding and how he was remaining concealed. Thus, the character was given the power to escape human sight. Voice effects were added to suggest the shadow's seeming omnipresence. To explain this power, the shadow was described as a master of hypnotism as explicitly stated in several radio episodes. And now, we get to the episode tonight, which is entitled, Touch of Death. Once again, the Mutual Broadcasting System brings you the thrilling adventures of the Shadow, the hard and relentless fight of one man against the forces of evil. These dramatizations are designed to demonstrate forcibly to old and young alike that crime does not pay. And now, the Shadow. The Shadow, who aids the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Years ago in the Orient, Cranston learned a strange and mysterious secret, the hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama, The Touch of Death. It is early afternoon. Lamont Cranston, in his dual role of the shadow, has just broken another case and is about to enter his apartment to get some much-needed rest. Oh, it'd be good to get these clothes off. Thirty-six hours without a chance. Why do some people have to be criminals to get what they want? Oh, oh well, I'll let the philosophers figure that one out. Need for a quick shower and then... Good the afternoon, Mr. Cranston. Oh? Uh, how did you... We've been waiting patiently in your kitchen. 
Nice view of the river, I must say. How did you get in here? I hope you'll forgive us for having raided your icebox, but you were gone such a long time. Who are you? What do you want? I'm Lucius Hawk. This is my sister-in-law, Molly Hawk. Hawk? Yes, I see the name rings a bell in your memory. Why shouldn't it? He sent Peter to the electric chair just two weeks ago. My brother, Mr. Cranston, I was very fond of him. Your brother was a murderer, Mr. Hawk. Nobody would have known about my husband if it hadn't been for you. In the shadow. Molly, put that gun away. Why should I? Peter is dead. Put it away. I told you no violence. I don't like the sight of blood. He's got no right to live. Him first, then the shadow. Molly, will you do as I say or must I... Don't, don't, don't. Come near me. I find you much too emotional at the wrong time. Don't touch me. I'll put the gun away. I'll listen to you. Well, that's better. We must remember to take good care of Mr. Cranston. We need him. What do you want? The shadow. What? <laughs> now you're being funny. I didn't laugh when I heard of my brother's death in the electric chair. I could have stopped it if I'd been here, Mr. Cranston, but I wasn't. I've spent nearly all the last ten years in the jungles of the Amazon, and it wasn't until I returned yesterday that I heard about my brother. It was quite a shock. How do you know the shadow had anything to do with it? Peter told me the last time I saw him, just before... If it hadn't been for your meddling, Cranston... Relax, Molly. But I... All right. You're wasting your time. The shadow's invisible. No one can find it. I wonder. <laughs> do you think I can do what the underworld failed to do in years? I'm going to make it your responsibility, Mr. Cranston. Now listen, Mr. Hawks. I'm tired. Without your detective work, the shadow might never have been given the lead to my brother. Well, what did you expect me to do? Let a professional killer go on killing? Cranston, would you like to die now? Molly likes to handle that gun, doesn't she? No, I'm afraid you don't understand. Look at these flowers. They're beautiful. Huh? Notice the delicate shading of the petals. The graceful stems. What did you do to them? I touched them. Poor things, they withered and died. I'm sorry, I hate to kill beautiful things. But your kitten, Mr. Cranston? Tommy, uh, come here, Tommy. Tommy must have been under the bed until now. Look at him stretch. Let me help you. No, leave him alone. Get back, Cranston. All I'm going to do is go throw him there. <coughs> Tommy! Why, you... Oh, my, I've done it again, Mr. Cranston. I touched him and Tommy is dead. You. You're angry, aren't you? You'd like to choke the life out of me, but you won't. Molly is very emotional and she might pull the trigger. Or have I convinced you that I have the touch of death? Get out of here. Yes. I'm glad you didn't force me to touch you. Because I need you alive. Remember your assignment. I want the shadow. And I give you 12 hours to find him. Get out, get out! Keys, Mr. Cranston, put them on the table. Oh, Molly, our friend is very stubborn. Go behind him and take them out of his pocket. Do I have to get that close to him? Bear in mind, the gun is not to go off. It won't. It's not because... Drop them into my hand. Thank you. A precaution, Mr. Cranston. I don't like to be followed. Your keys will be in the lock on the other side of the door. How do you expect him to find the shadow if he can't get out? Why, he'll get out, my dear. The telephone is still working. Goodbye, Mr. Cranston. The shadow in 12 hours or the touch of death. Here's a chance to use your skill as a detective to save your own life. <laughs> I'm not convinced. 
He must know you're the shadow or he wouldn't have come here to ask you to find him. If he knows, Margot, why didn't he kill me? Yes. Why didn't he? It would have been very simple. Molly had a gun on me and Lucius had... Do you really believe he has the touch of death? I don't know what he has. I saw him touch those flowers. And then Tommy. Poor Tommy. Man can't be human to kill an innocent, harmless little kitten. Darling, you must do something. I'd do something. I'd do plenty if I knew where to find him. He knows where to find you. You can't just sit here and wait. Twelve hours. Ten hours, darling. Took me a long time to get you on the phone. Yes, I was out shopping, darn it. Well, I have to call off our theater date with Weston. Do you mind? Shall I phone him or will you? No, I'll do it. Uh, are you going to tell him why? I can't, Margot. Weston might think as you did that Lucius Hawks came here tonight because he thought that I was the shadow. Hello, Commissioner Weston talking. Money one. Uh, this is Lamont Cranston, Commissioner. Oh, Cranston, I'm glad you called. Our date for tonight is off. Oh, good. I... Uh, what's good about it? An epidemic of murders has broken out all over the city. Murders? Yeah. Well, thanks for calling, Cranston. Give my best to Margot. Uh, Commissioner... Goodbye. Hello. Hello? An epidemic of murders. What are you talking about, Donna? Margot, we're going down to police headquarters to see Weston. I want to know more about those murders. Well, would you mind telling me what murders? Oh, not at all. After Weston has told me. Well, all right, but I... Come on, look at me. Close the door, quick. Darling, Go... darling, since when are you afraid of dead reptiles? Oh. Oh, gee, is he, is he really dead? Completely. But still useful. Ooh. What? A piece of paper in his mouth. No. Well, I can think of nicer ways to read messages, even if they aren't quite so novel. Hmm. Lucius Hawks. Oh. Nothing can resist the touch of death, my friend, not even the venomous serpent. Good luck, Mr. Cranston. Good hunting. That man is a monster. Yes, a monster with a plan. He thinks he's using the strategy of terror on me. Your eyes on the road, Molly, and on that car ahead. Letting Cranston live. I tell you, Lucius, he's not going to find a shadow for us. He's not even going to talk. How certain you are. You know why? It's because he's not afraid of you. He will be when he knows as much about me as you do. He'd have gone for you if I didn't have a gun on him and he killed his kitten. Well, that would have been a pity. I'm sorry I didn't let him. I should have forced you to kill him. Molly, will you please understand? Mr. Cranston must be kept alive until I'm ready to make my own disposition. And it's your duty to see that he is. You're not to do anything foolish when my back is turned. But, Lucius, I promised Peter before That's he not died. not important. Peter was my husband. And he was my brother. Now, do as I say. Yes, Lucius. You play chess, Molly. Chess? You should learn. You'd see the value of planning ahead. Look where Mr. Cranston stopped his car. Why, Lucius, right outside police headquarters. Yes. My strategy is beginning to work. Mr. Cranston will lead me to the shadow in spite of himself. Now, nobody's going home. I'm putting every man on 24-hour duty. See that the order goes out right away. I want that maniac picked up today. 
What maniac, Commissioner? Oh, Cranston, you and Miss Lane picked a bad time to make a social call. I'm up to my ears and work. Oh, Commissioner, hello is such a small word. Margot. What maniac, Commissioner? <laughs> Roy Jackson, he broke out of the institution yesterday. Jackson? Three murders in the last two hours, and the same pattern he used six years ago before the Shadow caught him for it. You mean girls? Blonde, beautiful, and all under 25. If I could only get my hands on the shadow. Why the shadow? Well, I need him. Roy Jackson's got the cunning of every homicidal maniac. And I've got to stop these killings. Uh, Commissioner. What is it? How were those girls killed? I said Roy Jackson, Cranston. That can mean only one thing. They were strangled. Are those girls at the morgue? Cranston, sometimes you ask No, I'd, I'd like to see them. Would you mind? No, I don't mind. But don't stick your two cents in. I don't want any amateurs... Cluttering up this case. I'll bear that in mind, Commissioner. Now, let's go, darling. Goodbye, Commissioner. Sometimes that's so much nicer than saying hello. Yes. Hey, what did you mean by that? Mm, what a mood. Oh, he doesn't mean it. Next time he sees us, he'll be apologizing all over the place. Well, he certainly should be. Lamont, why are we going to the morgue? Playing a hunch, darling. Is it secret? No. I want to see if there's any evidence on those girls that might have been concealed by a strangling. What? I don't understand. Well, simply this. Were those girls killed by Jackson or by someone else? I'm coming, I'm coming. What are you folks trying to do? Wake the dead? Hello, McCab. Oh, Mr. Cranston. Come in, come in. Thanks. Is this lady with you? Mm hmm. I'm leaving with him, too. Huh? Oh, Miss Lane, I didn't recognize you behind them green blinkers. Okay, I'll take them off. Well, what can I show you today? Uh, those three girls who were strangled. Yeah, sure, over this way. Commissioner's sure making a fuss over them gals, Mr. Cranston. Been here twice since they got brung in. Checking and rechecking like there was some mystery. Well, he wanted to make sure that... He the... did. Second time he come, he says, Roy Jackson done it. Then he walks out of here madder and... Oh, excuse me, Miss Lane. I got evil thoughts. Uh, now, here's the first round. Margo? I'm all right, Lamont. Now, here's the second one. And here's number three. I don't know what you're looking for, Mr. Cranston, but you ain't going to find it. Well, maybe I won't, the cap. The coroner says they got strangled. That's a fact, Miss Lane. Yes, yes, I guess so. Official verdict. Huh? <laughs> hey, Miss Lane, you crying? Well, it... It just makes me so furious. It's so awful. Yeah. Only a maniac could have done this to them. Well, that's what Commissioner Weston says. But I... I bet you a ghost that's him now, coming back for another look. I better go let him in. Well, Lamont? Oh, nothing so far. Everything points to Jackson, his pattern. Rope around the neck from behind. The victim doesn't have a chance. Shall we go now? No, just a minute. But uh, what are you looking at the wrist for? I'm still playing my hunch. I hope that hunch is wrong, darling. Uh, What's that? Oh, it's the cab. The cab. What's the matter? Come on, look, it's on the floor. The cab. Cab. Darling, look how he's clutching his heart. Uh, I'll phone for that. Yes, quick. Margo. Better phone for the coroner. What? Oh, Lamont. Yes, darling. Poor McCabe. 
husband. And he couldn't do a thing to help him. This may have been another warning, Margot. What? Not at all sure that McCabe's heart failure might not have been induced by murder. During the war, 85 million Americans bought war bonds. Today, those same Americans are not only holding on to their war bonds, but are buying United States savings bonds. These bonds are identical except for name to the war bonds you purchased during the war years. There were many good reasons for buying bonds during the war. We had to have the planes and the tanks and the equipment. With Victory, your Victory bonds helped bring the boys home, helped to provide needed hospitalization and care for the wounded. And yet while your war bonds and Victory bonds were doing all that, they were working for you, providing a bulwark for your own future. United States savings bonds can do that same job. They give you the opportunity to lay aside a financial nest egg for yourself. They make it possible for you to save the money that will buy you a home, that will pay for education for your children, that may be the means to start out in business. Whatever your objective, U.S. savings bonds can help to make those dreams come true. You can buy U.S. savings bonds through the payroll savings plan or at any bank or post office. For your own future, buy them and hold them. And now... Back to the shadow. It is several hours later, and in Lamont Cranston's apartment, Cranston and Margot Lane are listening while Commissioner Weston gloats. <laughs> I take back everything I said about the shadow of the blue shirt. He doesn't hold a candle to the policeman, and never will. Oh, Commissioner, he's done some good, you know. Mm, here and there, but who captured Roy Jackson, eh? My boy. Caught him flat on his back to sleep in a barn. Are you satisfied that uh, he strangled those girls? Aren't you, Cranston? Jackson denied it. So what? Well, he didn't deny the murders he committed six years ago. What's that got to do with now? Well, it breaks the pattern. <laughs> Cranston, you ought to read a book on criminology. I have, Commissioner. And on page one, it says, don't believe everything you see. Are you leading into the subject of macabre again? I'm in it, Commissioner. Now, look. You kids are not going to tie me up for the night. The coroner says McCab had a heart attack. That makes it official. Well, couldn't he have been wrong? No, he couldn't. He checked that poor old guy from head to foot. There wasn't a mark on him to prove your suspicion of murder. But, Commissioner, I told you, McCab got an insurance policy on his life only a month ago. He was examined by a doctor and found to be okay. Well, what does that prove? A lot of things can change in a month. Look, Cranston, it's getting late and I've got a big day ahead of me. And I've had enough murder for the time being. Good night. Good night, Commissioner. He's a hard man to convince, isn't he? Yes. Why didn't you tell him about Lucius Hawkins? Well, I couldn't, darling. I don't know enough about him myself. But you're sure he killed McCab? Not only McCab, darling. I'm sure he killed those girls. Well, why then? He wants the shadow. Margot, he'll keep killing until he gets the shadow. Oh. Excuse me. Of course. Hello? Hello, Mr. Cranston. Lucius. Well, my friend, have you good news to report? Not yet. Oh, what a pity. Your time is nearly up, you know. I'll need more, Lucius. More time, but I gave you 12 hours. I'm sorry, I'm not a miracle man. And I thought you were. How we misjudge people. Well, have you at least a lead? I... I don't know. I might have. Would you like to tell me about it? I can. You will. Come to my apartment, 972 Park Drive. And come alone. Very well, I'll be there in half an hour. Now, go. this is the break I've been waiting for. Come on, darling, I'll take you home. Lamont, you are not going there alone. Well, of course. But suppose it's a trap. 
If he as much as suspects that you're the shadow... Don't he... worry, darling. He won't kill me. Well, I'm going with you. Now, Margaret. Don't try to talk me out of it, Lamont, because you can't get rid of me. All right. Well, I hope you know what you're doing. He's coming, my dear. Here's your sandwich. Thank you, Molly. Did you say you wanted coffee or milk? I didn't say, but milk, of course, warm. Oh, sit some up. No, wait. Uh, don't hurry. I can do that myself later. I don't mind. Molly, it's too bad that I won't be here to greet Mr. Cranston. Why, are you going away? Yes, I must. But you'll stay, won't you? Sure. Of course you will. What are you doing? I'm going to kill you, my dear. No. I can't tell you how sorry I am, but it's part of my plan. But why? Why? Conclusive proof of the touch of death. It should convince Mr. Cranston that I mean business. Oh, no, don't let me, please. Let me live. Don't please. run away, Molly. There's no pain in death. Please. Please, I don't want to die. Who does? But it comes to all of us sooner no. or later. No, no, and no. And to you, it must come no. sooner. You've no place to go no. now, Molly. You're in a corner. No. Goodbye, my dear. <laughs> Poor Molly. Just a line in a blueprint. He's not going to open it, Lamont. Then I will. No, no, please don't go in there. What's the matter? Can't you see it's a trap, dear? He didn't answer the buzzer. He left the door unlocked for you to open, and he's waiting somewhere in there to kill you. Let's not keep him waiting. But... Just a minute, Mark. Why did you stop? Oh. Molly. Is she dead? No, in a minute. Oh. Yeah, she's dead. The touch of death? Maybe. No mark on it. Oh, Lamont. It should down, doesn't it? Why, Molly, his sister-in-law, his, his own brother's wife. I don't know, but I've got to find... Wait a minute, look at this. What? On her wrist, a tiny mark. I don't see anything. The crease. Did you see it now? Well, nothing that looks like a mark to me. No, look closely, right here. No, no, but I see something else, Lamont. What? A note on that typewriter on the table. It leaves in messages, doesn't it? What does it say? It says... One by one, the evidence mounts. You next, Mr. Cranston. If the shadow isn't in your apartment before morning. Don't keep me waiting. Lamont, he knows. We'll soon find out. Well, what are you going to do? Nothing. The shadow's not going to keep Lucius waiting. Thank you. A compliment from one so high. It's too bad you can't keep those hands from killing. Yes, you see, they're not as sentimental as I am. Well, Shadow, you impress me. Do I? Yes, you're all my sister-in-law and Mr. Cranston said you are. Invisible. I didn't quite believe it, you know. Being secluded in the jungles of the Amazon for ten years, one loses touch with modern science. But not with death. Listen, 
This is a native death chant that I've written into a symphony. to meet you. And the cop? And your sister-in-law? Ah, uh, then Mr. Cranston has told you everything? <laughs> the shadow doesn't have to be told. The shadow knows. The shadow and Mr. Cranston, where does one begin and the other end? I wonder. I can tell you what your end will be, Lucius. Mere assumption. Sit down, my friend. And make yourself visible. We can talk more affably. Perhaps even reach an understanding. Shadow doesn't sit with murderers. Well, then perhaps Mr. Cranston will sit down with me. Mr. Cranston? Yes. You see, I know who you are. I suspected it from the beginning, but I needed the proof to convince myself. <laughs> You're bluffing, Lucius. Am I? Well, look at the marks that your shoes are leaving on the rug. Huh? With each step, you leave the mark of Lamont Cranston. Am I bluffing now? It won't help you, Lucius. Oh, Shadow, you're not as clever as I thought you might be. I outsmarted you. I phoned Lamont Cranston to come to my apartment. And then I killed Molly. That was a trap that I had set for you. And you walked right into it. Into the paraffin that I had smeared around Molly's body. And now the Shadow has brought it here. So what am I to think? Well, what about it? Well, that's a sensible question. Your power to make yourself invisible... My power to kill with a touch. Combine them, and we can have anything we want. I see. As equal partners? Of course. Oh, no. I want more. Oh, greedy, aren't you? Very well, how much? I want everything. What? Are you serious? <laughs> when I bargain with murderers, I have no sense of humor, Lucius. Get on that phone. Call the police. Tell them everything you did today. But if I should also tell them who the shadow is... Go ahead. Every newspaper in the city will carry the story. What do you suppose the underworld would do to Lamont Cranston then? He'll take his chances with the underworld, Lucius. The phone. Well, I'm afraid you'll give me no alternative. I'll have to kill you. Don't try to get away. I know exactly where you are. Your shoe prints tell me. You're... You're behind the table. Where, Lucius? Well, you're, you're, you're still behind the table. Am I? Well, you must be. <laughs> I'll find you. I'll find you that paraffin on your shoes. And when I do... Oh! What will you do, Lucius? My arm, my arm. Why don't you touch me? Oh! I'm right here behind you holding your wrist. Why don't you kill me? I can't stand it. Let me go. Didn't you know that paraffin could be wiped off? <laughs> you didn't think of that, did you? Shadow, please, I won't betray you. Let me In go. In a moment. First, I'll rip off this glove. Now I've got your touch of death. Oh, you almost broke my arm. Very ingenious to find a glove that fits over the hand and looks exactly like a human hand. And under each nail, a fine needle with poison on it. The case against you is complete, Lucius. Is it? Oh, no, Shadow, because I still have the other glove. Sorry, Lucius. Not now, Shadow! Stop it! <laughs> So, Lucius, the last victim of the touch of death. It's too bad you didn't think of your own death before you killed others. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, good night, darling. Better get home, get some of that sleep as long over you. Now, wait just one minute. I'm still nervous about how close the shadow came to being revealed. Do you know that your life wouldn't have been worth a pincushion? I know, darling. It was the closest call the shadow ever had. Yes, but there's one thing I don't understand. Hmm? How could the coroner have said that McCabe died of heart failure when actually he was poisoned? Well, Margot, there's some poisons that are so deadly and so mysterious their presence in the blood can't be detected. Natives of the Amazon jungles produce such a poison. Oh, I see. Well, I'm glad you can because I can't. Probably. What do you mean? Darling, I'm so sleepy that you and the street all around you are almost invisible. Oh. The Shadow Program is based on a story copyrighted by Street and Smith Publications. The characters, names, places, and plot are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Again next week, the shadow will demonstrate that the weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Harold Perry to star in The Great Gildersleeve. And tonight we're in for a treat since Gildy is visited by Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> yeah. The Kraft Cheese Company will also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night. Present each week at this time, Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve, written by John Wheaton. from the great Gildersleeve in just a moment. Of course, most of you homemakers listening in know how deliciously good margarine can be today. But some of you may not have used margarine as a spread for bread for a good many years. Well, if that's the case, you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you taste parquet margarine, the margarine that's made by Kraft. That's because parquet margarine is really different from the margarines of a few years back. First, parquet's flavor is pretty certain to please. It's so delicate and wholesome, so deliciously good. You'll be delighted with parquet as a spread for bread or rolls, yes? And for baking and pan frying, too. Second, unlike old-time margarines, parquet margarine is a reliable year-round source of vitamin A because every pound contains 9,000 units of this important vitamin. And besides, parquet is an excellent energy food. So try economical parquet margarine in your household and find out how extra good it is yourself. Just ask your food dealer for Parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y. Parquet margarine made by Kraft. Now on to Summerfield and the Great Gildersleeve. Saturday afternoon finds him in a flurry of preparation for the expected visit of his old friends, Fibber McGee and Molly. For hours, he's been running up and down stairs, issuing orders and countermanding them, and now he pauses to light a well-earned cigar and snatch a moment's respite from the labor of supervising Bertie. Well, Bertie, how do we stand? Has that roast of beef turned up yet? No, sir. I phoned the market, and they said the boy left with about a half hour ago. Maybe he's been hijacked. Yeah. Well, we'll give him a few more minutes. How about the sleeping arrangements? I did like Miss Marjorie said. I'm giving Miss McGee your room. That's right. And Mr. McGee gets the den. I hope he'll be comfortable. He doesn't have to be comfortable. That guy can sleep standing up. 
<laughs> what about me? Where do I go? <laughs> well, uh, you sort of get the sewing room, Mr. Gilsley. <laughs> I know at the sewing room I'll be on pins and needles all night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, sir. I got you all fixed up snug there on Leroy's folding camp cot. Yeah, the last time I camped on that cot, it folded all right. <laughs> you remember? Well, I got it fixed up now, Mr. Gilsleeve. I got it tied up with some string. Oh, fine. I'll sleep like a baby. Yes, sir. I'll bet I'll be asleep before my head hits the floor. <laughs> oh, Marjorie, is that you? It's me, Uncle. Marjorie's coming. She's outside talking to some guy that brought her home from the plant. How was the movie? Uh, Bertie, take this book upstairs with you when you go, will you? Yes, sir. I saw a white cargo. It's about this guy. Oh, good. Uh, put that book on the table next to the bed, Bertie. Mrs. McGee might want to read before she goes to sleep. It's about this guy who goes to Africa, and he runs into Hedy Lamar down there, mooching around the jungle. Yep. So if the heat begins to get him, only yep. I forgot to tell you Walter Pigeon is there. He's running the camp. That's Mr. Miller, only in this picture his name is Whitzel. Oh, hello, my dear. Hello, are they here yet? So, uh, so, so Witzel says to this new guy... Not yet. Their train's due in about a half an hour. So Witzel says to this guy... Witzel, that's Walter Pigeon. Leroy, I haven't got time to listen to all that now. Well, you asked me how was the movie. I'll be more careful next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're early, Marjorie. I got a ride, so I didn't have to wait for the bus. We picked up Leroy just as he was coming out of the theater. Yeah, tell him who picked you up. Marjorie's got a new fella. Yes. Nobody picked me up. Now, have not. That's no way to talk about your sister, young man. One of the men from the plant very kindly offered to drive me home, that's all. Who's on his way? Yeah. Mike, she calls him. That just happens to be his name. She's only been there working there a week, and already it's Mike. Hiya, Mike. Hiya, baby. <laughs> now, come on, now, don't you listen to him. <laughs> very nice, though, really. He works in the drafting department. Oh, well, that's fine. He's a draftsman, all right. If you ask me, he's got designs on our nail. <laughs> Leroy, you mind your own business. I've got something to say to both of you. Yes, Uncle Mort? When Mr. McGee arrives this afternoon, there are two things I want you to be careful not to do. In the first place, I don't want you to make any reference to Fibber's size. What about it? Well, he's a little runt, and like all little runts, <laughs> he's sort of sensitive about it. That's why he's so pugnacious. Oh, I wouldn't say anything, Uncle Mort. Well, I know you wouldn't, my dear, but I'm not so sure about Leroy. <laughs> Did I say anything about him being a runt? You're the one who brought it up. Well, just don't, that's all. Actually, he's not so small anyway. It's just that he's not as big as he thinks he is. <laughs> he has the mind of a small man, that's all. <laughs> Always carrying a chip on his shoulder. Oh, we'll be careful, Uncle Moore. And another thing, and this applies to both of you. I'd rather you didn't say anything about my engagement to Mrs. Ransom. Oh, but the McGees are your friends, Uncle Moore. They'll be offended. We're not announcing the engagement just yet, my dear. We're uh, keeping it a secret. Mrs. Ransom isn't. I heard her talking to Mrs. Pettibone down at the grocery. We're not announcing it to McGee, and that's final, Leroy. Because if I know McGee, he'll start making cracks. <laughs> if he makes any cracks about Lita, I'll punch him in the nose. And if I do that, Molly will be upset, and if she's upset, it'll spoil the whole weekend. And that's what you get for inviting McGee anyway. <laughs> He hasn't had a chance to open his mouth. Well, I know, McGee, his mouth is open right this minute. <laughs> You'll see, he'll arrive here in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> Nobody will be able to get a word in all weekend. If he ever finds out about me and Leela, he'll be like a Scotty with a bone. Oh, Uncle Mort, you're being silly. Well, he isn't going to come in here as my guest and bandy so-called witticisms at my expense. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction. But just keep the whole thing dark, if you don't mind. Come on, it's time to go get him. Can I go, Uncle? Uh, no, Leroy, there's something else I want you to do. What's that? I want you, in the interests of peace, 
to go out in the garage, get the lawnmower, and hide it. Well, this is it, folks. It's no palace, but it's home to me. What do you think of it, Molly? Oh, it's a lovely place, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yeah, a nice hunk of property you got here, Gildy. A hundred foot front by a hundred and seventy-five deep. Well, that ought to give you room to spread out. (laughs) (laughs) And I can see that you have. (laughs) What was that, little chum? McGee, watch it. (laughs) Hey, Crocky, who lives next door there? Next door? Oh, some woman. I forget her name. Uh, Mrs. Ransom. Oh, yes. Is that it? She's a widow. Oh, so? Uh, what a woman, eh? Give you much trouble? Uh, no, no. As a matter of fact... Marjorie, suppose you run in and ask Leroy to come out and help with the bags. That's a good girl. You know, I think nice neighbors make all the difference in the world. So do bad ones. <laughs> we had one once who borrowed our lawnmower and kept it so long he finally had to leave town. <laughs> and he took the lawnmower with him. McGee, if you've come all the way to Summerfield to open up old wounds... Oh, yes. Come here, my boy. Well, well, this must be little Leroy. Yes. Leroy, I want you to meet Mrs. McGee, a very dear friend of mine. How do you do? My, he's a fine-looking lad, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, and this is Mr. McGee. Hi, bud. Gosh, I had no idea you were such a big kid. Gosh, I had no idea you were so big either. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, you're not such a little runt. I'm told me... Leroy! <laughs> Building him up, huh? Well, cut it out. Never mind him, Leroy. You eat your oatmeal and cod liver oil regularly, someday you may be as big and fat as your uncle. Are you kidding? None of your impudence, young man. Out, Gildersleeve. The boy meant no harm. He's plainly the victim of an unfortunate environment, that's all. <laughs> Let's go inside, shall we, where the environment is warmer. Oh, yes, by all means. Uh, Leroy, you go get the bags out of the car. Bye, George. I tell you folks, it's wonderful to have you here. This is just like old times. Oh, it's good to be here, Mr. Gibbsley. Yeah. Let me take your coat, Mrs. McGee. Oh, thank you. Where'll I put mine, Crocky? Well, I'll take it. Just hang it up here in the hall closet. McGee. What, Molly? You see that closet? That's what I mean. <laughs> Sure, anybody can keep a closet clean if they don't use it. Mr. McGee, if you'd like to come upstairs, I'll show the room you're going to have. Oh, thank you, dearie. I would like to freshen up a little before dinner. Uh, dinner's in about a half an hour, everybody. Hey, where these bags go? Uh, Mr. McGee's bag goes in the den, and Mrs. McGee's goes up in my room. Here, I'll take it up to her. Uh, hey, Sonny, is there any place around here where a fellow could buy a toothbrush? I came off without one, as usual. Well, sure, there's a drugstore right down the street about three blocks. Good, I may run down there a little later. Well, what have you been doing with yourself all day? I went to the movies this afternoon. Mm-hmm. White Cargo, have you seen it? No, that's one I missed. Well, this guy goes to Africa and he can't stand the heat. Uh-huh. So he and Walter Pigeon get mad at each other and Walter Pigeon says, you'll quit. And he says, I will not. Mm-hmm. So he goes off by himself and plays the phonograph and then he... Well, uh, look, uh, on second thought, maybe I better go right now and get that toothbrush. <laughs> I'm just getting to where Hedy Lamar comes in. Oh. Well, I'll wait for that. Well, he's playing his phonograph there, yeah. and it's getting all dark and spooky, and he looks out the door, and all of a sudden, what does he see? Hedy Lamar. Yeah, only he'd never know her. 
Huh? She's got a sort of a thing around her. And she comes in like this. Uh, look, you're Walter Pigeon and I'm Hetty Lamar. Well, if you're Hetty Lamar, I guess I can pass for Walter Pigeon. <laughs> Shoot the plot to me, Todd. Well, she slides around the edge of the door like this, uh-huh. and she says, I am Tondaleo. <laughs> well, look, Rondaleo, I've got to run down to the corner and get a toothbrush. Hey, wait! I'll be right back. Well, this is the best part. Whistle comes in and catches her. Good night, Mr. Peavy. Good night. Now, what can I do for you, sir? I'd like to buy a toothbrush. A toothbrush? Mm -hmm. Uh, Did you have any particular kind of toothbrush in mind? (laughs) Yes, uh, something I could brush my teeth with. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I don't really need a toothbrush. I've got one at home, but I came away without it. Well, none of it's perfect. (laughs) You say you're a stranger in town? Oh, I didn't say so, but I am. McGee's my name. I'm staying up the street here. Oh, pleased to make your acquaintance, Mr. McGee. My name is Peavy. Anytime I can be of service, only too glad. Oh, thanks. I'd like to buy a toothbrush. Any, uh, any particular kind? Co- oh, I have to, thank you. Now. Yes. Well, I have a number of varieties. I have them in red, green, white, small, medium, large. Now, give me a red one. And uh, then they come in the nylon bristle, the exton bristle, the proton bristle, and uh, the just plain bristle. Look, bud, I just want a toothbrush. I want to brush my teeth. Well, here's a nice brush. I'll take that one. Well, I don't want you to feel I'm high-pressuring you. Wrap it up. Yes, sir. Uh, Will there be anything else? No, that's... Oh, wait a minute. Seems to me Molly did mention something. Oh, I know. We're spending the weekend with a fellow up the street here, and I'd like to get a little something for him as a gift. Uh, what type of gentleman is he? Oh, he's a big, fat blowhard. <laughs> Doesn't do much of anything but eat, sleep, and brag. <laughs> I've got something here that I think uh, Mr. Gildersleeve would like. You know him. Oh, yes. He's in here almost every day. Oh. And I think if you really want to surprise him, a nice package of bubble bath would do the trick. Gildersleeve in a bubble bath? Boy, he'd look like a blimp coming out of a cloud. Well, of course, it wouldn't make much of a wedding gift, if that's what you have in mind. Wedding gift? For Gildersleeve? Haven't you heard? He's engaged to marry his next-door neighbor, Mrs. Ransom. Rocky, engaged? Yeah. Oh, tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> What'd you say her name was? Uh, Mrs. Ransom. Lila <coughs> Ransom. Widow. Oh, the widow next door. Uh-huh. The one he said he never met. Didn't even know her name. The big fake. What's she like? Well, she's a southern lady. Uh, very well preserved. <laughs> Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Let me at him. Here, what do I owe you? Uh-uh, that'll be 77 cents. Uh, cheapest toothbrush I ever bought. Well, so long, bud, and many thanks. Just then, Walter Pigeon comes in from the jungle and catches Hetty slipping in the poison. Heavenly day. Leroy, that'll be quite enough now. Oh, now, don't <laughs> discourage the boy, Mr. Gildersleeve. Discourage him? I only wish I knew how. Hi, <laughs> folks. 
McGee, where on earth have you been? Oh, just down the corner. <laughs> Say, you look like the cat that swallowed the canary. Do you know that you've kept dinner waiting 15 minutes? Oh, that's perfectly all right. Leroy, run out and tell Bertie she can serve it any time now, will you? McGee, have you washed? <laughs> McGee, what's get into you? Yes, what are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Rocky. Yeah. Hello. How's every little thing? How are you feeling? Uh, I feel all right. Why? Everything under control? Certainly. What do you hear from Lulu? <laughs> Is Lulu? Who's Lulu? McGee, what on earth are you When talk? are we going to meet her, Rocky? Meet who? The Queen of Sheba. Scarlett O'Hara. That widow you're going to marry. Oh! <laughs> Mr. Gildersleeve? Leroy. Honest, Doc, I didn't say a thing. Marjorie. Not a peep, Uncle Mort, I swear. If you knew Lulu like I know Lulu. Her name is not Lulu. No? No, it's Leela. Leela. Lee is a leave her out of this, and la is in lots of people get a punch in the nose. <laughs> That's just what you're going to get if you ever so much as... Why, you big bumbling balloon. Come over here, and I'll let the air out You muscle bound me. <laughs> By the band. The great sleeve will be with us again in a few seconds. You know, especially in times like these, it's smart to be economical. But when it comes to food buying, it's important to be wisely economical. To be sure that the economy foods you buy fulfill the requirements of good nutrition. Now, one food that's both economical and highly nutritious is wholesome parquet margarine, the delicious spread for bread made by Kraft. Parquet margarine, you know, is one of the kinds of foods recommended in our government's nutrition food rules. That's because parquet is so nourishing, having both food energy and important vitamin A. And what's more, parquet helps provide these essential food elements in so many ways. It's a delicious spread for bread or toast or rolls. It's a tasty seasoning for hot vegetables. It's a real flavor shortening for baking, and it's grand for pan frying, too. Yes, in all these ways, parquet margarine adds delicious nourishment to meals. So tomorrow, ask your food dealer for parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y, parquet margarine made by Kraft. What of the great Gildersleeve? Well, it's Sunday morning, and the great man has come down to enjoy his usual outsize Sunday breakfast. He walks into the dining room, sniffing the air like a bird dog in a hot scent. Uh, uh, that's funny. The stuff must be here, but I can't smell it. Birdie? Yes, Mr. Gildersleeve? Where's breakfast? Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, Miss Marjorie told me y'all would wait until Miss and Miss McGee came down. I never heard of such a thing. Marjorie! Oh, for goodness sake, Uncle Morton, now be quiet. Think of our guests. I am thinking of them. I'm thinking, why don't they get up? Oh, the idea. Anyone would think you hadn't eaten for a month. That's exactly the way I feel. When I think of that little termite, McGee, probably lying up there in bed right now, just on purpose to keep me for my breakfast. Who's that? I'll go. Well, good morning, Judge. Oh, Hooker, come right in. I'm glad to see you. I can't stay, but I've heard the news from Leela Ransom, and as your ex-rival, I simply wish to tender my congratulations. Oh, thank you, Judge. After thinking it over, Throckmorton, I feel sure that Leela's heart has guided her to the right choice. Oh, you think so? Hey, well, I hope so. By the way, I'm giving a little party for Leela this afternoon. I hope you can come, Horace. I'd love to. I hope you'll make Leela very happy, Gildy. Well, I'll try. Fine. Uh, Throckmorton, have yes. you, um... 
Have you given Leela any kind of uh, token? Uh, token? Well, as a symbol of your plight at trot. It's customary, you know, to give the lady... Hooker, are you trying to peddle a second-hand engagement ring? No, certainly not. Then what are you talking about? It's not second-hand. Leela's <laughs> never even seen it. This ring has never encircled a human finger. Then why don't you take it back to the jeweler? Well, for sentimental reasons, I wanted you to have it. Uh... Besides, I had Leela's name put on it. Oh, well, what'd you pay for it? Seventy-five dollars. I'll give you fifty. It's robbery, but I'll take it. Well, I want to see it first. Here it is. Oh, that's quite a flash. Wait a minute, what's this inside of it, this inscription? Oh, yes. To Leela from Cuddles. No, I I forgot to mention that. Hooker, did Leela Ransom ever call you Cuddles? No, Gildy, but I just hope she'd learn to. Uh, well, obviously the ring is of no use to me, but I'll give you $25 for it. $25? $25, Judge, take it or leave it. I'll take it. But what are you going to do about the inscription? Well, if I play my cards right, she might learn to call me Cuddles. <laughs> Anybody around? Hey, don't tell me I'm the first one up. First one up, your clavicle. <laughs> I've been up for three hours. I waited breakfast for you till 10 o'clock. I'll tell Bertie you're ready. Oh, I've had breakfast. Is that what you mean? If you've had it? Yeah, had breakfast in bed. You? I tell you, it was quite a treat. Things ain't like that around Whistle Vista. Things ain't like that around here, either. <laughs> Bertie! Yeah, yeah? Why don't I ever get breakfast in bed? Because breakfast is the only thing to get you out of bed, Mr. Gilsey. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe when you're mad, Mr. Gilsleeve, things will be different. Yeah. You'll have to toe the mark then, Throcky. By the way, uh, when are we going to meet Lulu? The name is Leela. Oh, excuse me. Uh, when are we going to get a gander at her? What's the matter? You're not ashamed of her, are you? Look here, McGee. You're not even boys, fit to... Boys, boys. So early in the morning? Oh, good morning, Mrs. McGee. i just telling my little chum here I can't wait to have you meet Leela. Well, we can't wait either, Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs> That's no lie. Yeah. She's coming over this afternoon for tea, and I'm having one or two others in, uh, Judge Hooker. Oh, how are you and the judge getting along these days? Well, we have our ups and downs. Some days I think he's our purest little jurist, and others I think he's a stench to the bench. <laughs> you know, I'm very anxious to meet him, too. He sounds like such fun. Yeah, more fun than a goat. Yeah. McGee, what do you say to a little constitutional before lunch? A little what? A little constitutional, a little walk. On foot? Why, sure. I'd like to take you out and show you the reservoir. Go on, McGee, to do you good. How far is it? Oh, only about four miles. Are you kidding? <laughs> McGee, I want you to keep away from Leroy for the rest of the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is quite an occasion, quite an occasion. Everybody here now is a guest of honor. Where's Leela, Gildy? Uh, Leela, oh, she'll be along any minute, Judge. You know, Judge, I've heard a lot about you from our friend Gildersleeve here. Have you? I've heard a lot about you, too, Mr. McGee. Well, I'll tell you what he said about you if you'll tell me what he said about me. <laughs> Here. I've never said anything behind your back, little chum, that I haven't said to your face. Oh, so that's the way you talk about me behind my back. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, folks. That must be Leela. I'll go, I'll hey, go. Never mind, Leroy. I'll open it. Don't bother us. Oh. Leroy, you hurt me. <laughs> okay, okay. You know, I can't wait to meet her. Just think, McGee. Mr. Gildersleeve in love. Yeah, staggers the imagination. <laughs> Boy, they're taking long enough. Ha, 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 ha.
wonder what's going on out there. McGee, you stay right here. No, I just thought maybe he needed some help. He doesn't need help. Okay. Quiet, here they come. Hey, looks like Gildy done all right for himself. Wonder what he used for bait. Uh, Leela, darling, you know most of these people. Oh, yes. Good afternoon, Judge. Good afternoon, Leela. Oh, Marjorie, honey, I love your dress. Thank you. Hello, Leroy. Hello, Mrs. Ransom. <laughs> Leroy, uh, my dear, I want you to meet some old, old friends of mine. We're not that old. <laughs> uh, Mr. and Mrs. McGee from Whistful Vista. This is Leela. Oh, I'm just thrilled to meet y'all. Drock Martin's told me so much about you. I reckon you must think I'm just terrible carrying him off like this. Dearie, I think it's the finest thing that ever happened to him. And I want to be the first to congratulate oh, you. Thank you. Oh, isn't that nice? Well, McGee, aren't you going to congratulate Leela? Why should I congratulate her? It's Gildersleeve that ought to be congratulated. <laughs> Oh, you're just sweet-talking me now, Mr. McGee. Oh, shucks, sis. Just call me Fibber. <laughs> Mr. Gilfleet, excuse me. Could you come out in the kitchen for a minute? Oh, certainly, Bertie. Will you excuse me, folks? Go right on talking. What's wrong now, Bertie? You know, I just can't get over Mr. Gildersleeve after all the years we've known him falling in love. Uh, tell us, dearie, now that it's all over, how did he propose to you? Yeah, did he get down on his knees? And if he did, who helped him up? McGee. <laughs> Now, this is just between us women. Well, it was terribly romantic and all. It was in the evening, and he came with a beautiful bunch of roses. Oh, you hear that, dearie? Roses he brought her. What's the matter? I bought you some roses a couple of anniversaries ago. <laughs> well, I just wanted you to make a note of it. Go on, dearie. Well, I, I remember I just happened to be wearing a gown that he particularly liked. <coughs> a, a flowered chiffon, very tight through here with a long flowing skirt. I've been planning to spend the evening with a good book. Go on, you'll get plenty of time for that later. <laughs> We were standing there together, arranging the flowers, and all of a sudden, right out of the blue, he said, well, I don't know that he'd like me telling you, but he said, what would you do if I was to steal a little kiss? Oh, my God. <laughs> Is that corny? Keep out of this, Vicky. You don't understand. And then what? Well, naturally, I tried my utmost to discourage him, but seemed like he just refused to take no for an answer. Oh, not only that, he started to chase me around the room. <laughs> right, Martin, I couldn't understand it. Uh, look, Leela, uh, when did you first begin to suspect that uh, something was cooking? <laughs> Just a little love, a little kiss. Just a little love. <laughs> Just a little... Is everybody happy? What's going on, folks? What's the big joke? Nothing, Mr. Gildersleeve. Nothing at all. McGee, go on outside till you can control yourself. Come on, get out of here. Oh, I hear any more of us. Leroy, show me where I get this water. Right out here. Leela, what's wrong with McGee? I don't know, Throckmorton. I was just telling them about our engagement and how you proposed to me, and uh, all of a sudden something seemed to strike him funny. Leela, is nothing sacred to you? Now, Mr. Gildersleeve, don't be blaming her. Is our romance nothing but a farce to be torn to tatters for the amusement of the mob? Oh, no, Throckmorton. Am I nothing to you but a laughing stock? Oh, no. 
Well, that's the impression I seem to get. Now, listen, don't be blaming it on her, Mr. Gildersleeve. Blame it on McGee. Huh? And now, listen, remember, every proposal is sweet to the woman who hears it. Mm, isn't that a fact? Uh, tell me, Mrs. McGee, how did Mr. McGee propose to you? McGee? <laughs> <laughs> McGee proposed in a leaky canoe. Yes. Yes? <laughs> Which he had to paddle with his mandolin because he lost the paddle. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. And the song he sang to me was Pretty Red Wing. Yeah, Pretty Red Wing. This Summerfield water tastes a little funny, doesn't it, Gildy? It does not. You can say what you want to about me, McGee, but Summerfield has the finest water in the country. McGee, stop picking fights. You've made enough trouble already. Who's uh, picking fights? I just made a simple observation, that's all. Well, you're a bad boy. Come over here. Come on. I want you to apologize to Mr. Gildersleeve. Go on. Tell him you're sorry you hurt his feelings. Okay. Throcky, old chum, I'm sorry. Uh, well, that's all right, McGee. I know you're sensitive, and it's only natural. And I want to take this opportunity to say that where you're concerned, old chum... There's only one thing in this world I want. Oh, uh, what's that? Just a little love, a little <laughs> All right, McGee. All the moon shines tonight on hey, three. Hey. Well, it's certainly being, been nice having you folks here, Mrs. McGee. <laughs> well, it's, it's been nice being here, Mr. Gildersleeve, and meeting Marjorie and little Leroy and Leela and all. I think Leela's going to make you very happy. Yeah, Throcky, she seems like a mighty nice gal. Well, I'm glad you both liked her. Well, goodbye, old chum. Thanks for the use of the den. Oh, yes, I hope you were very comfortable there. Oh, it was fine, but there's just one thing I'd suggest, Throcky. Huh? If you go to take a shower there, be careful. Why? You might cut your feet on my lawnmower. Oh! <laughs> Leroy! Good night. <laughs> Good night, all. Good night. Several McGee and Molly appeared on this program to the courtesy of the makers of Johnson's Wax. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy Mills. This is Ken Carpenter speaking for the makers of Kraft Cheese and inviting you to listen in again next week for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nightbeat, followed by The Life of Riley. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.